But I want to talk to you today about something different. And I want to start off by telling you one of my favorite stories. And um, it's a story, you may have heard it before, and, and that's fine. But because it's a story that illustrates what happens when our dream collides with God's dream. You know, because we all have dreams and wants and desires and wishes and all those things. And so, <coughs> as the story is told, there is a, a captain of a battleship. And he is out at sea, and uh, he is a very accomplished captain in the Navy. And uh, he is in treacherous waters, and it's wreaking havoc on the ship. Their, their instruments are down. And, and so, they're just trying to figure out where they are. They quite honestly don't know exactly where they are. And um, as they continue to, to figure things out, they see a light ahead. And so, uh, of course, the, the captain asks the question, is, is the light moving or is it stationary? He says it's stationary, which means they're on a collision course, right? And so the captain immediately says, all right, you need to send this command, um, alter your, degree, your course 20 degrees to the east. To which the reply comes back, alter your course 10, 20 degrees to the west. And so this starts a contest between this captain and this unknown uh, person on the other side of the radio. And so the captain says, send this message. I am a captain in the United States Navy. I order you to alter your course 20 degrees to the east. To which the reply comes back, with all due respect, I'm a seaman second class in the United States Navy. I urge you to alter your course 20 degrees to the west. Now, at this point in time, the captain is just, I mean, he's incensed that he's, you know, that this is going on. So finally he says, he gets on the radio and says, Son, I am standing on the bridge of a battleship. And he said, Sir, I'm sitting in a chair in a lighthouse. Captain changes course. See, I think that's kind of what happens. We have these, these dreams, these things we want to do, our plans, and we make plans. And sometimes our plans collide with God's plans. And when our plans collide with God's plans, it's not like, two mighty battleships where one can alter its course and you can kind of pass by. It's like a battleship taking on a lighthouse. And lighthouses are movable. Our plans can change. Our dreams can change. God's dream for us has never changed and never will. And so we have to kind of figure this tension between how do I do what God wants when I'm trying to deal with what I want? And that's a tough deal because we're all people. We all like what we like. I, I, I shared with you um, somewhere along the way, I think. Um, I go to restaurants and I order. I have like two choices everywhere. Life's easier when you eliminate your choices, right? And so for me, it's just really easy. And, and so when I go somewhere, I just have a couple of choices. Now my, now, my wife expanded my horizons a little bit last night, and that's okay. Because we shared, so it was all good. And it worked out because it was really good. But what happens when your dream collides with God's dream? What happens when what God wants you to do collides with what you want you to do? And so I want to remind you of what we talked about last week about kingdom dreams and why doing it God's way is so important. And that is the kingdom dream is something so big. It's so unimaginable. It's beyond our scale to understand that if God's not in it, it cannot happen. If you can make your dream happen, you don't need God. If you can pay for it, you don't need God. If we can do step one, step two, step three, it's logical, it'll work out, and we can just do it all. 
We don't need God. And so, remember, the way it works is simple. Our part is like this. And God's part is like this. And so God had a dream for humanity a long time ago, and his dream was Jesus. And his dream was Jesus before the world was created, before Adam and Eve, and all that stuff. And before Joshua, if you were here last week, uh, went into Canaan and, and conquered Jericho and began his conquest of the promised land, before uh, Israel was a nation, and even when Israel was not a nation anymore, which is what we're going to talk about today, God still had a dream that Jesus would come to the world through the nation of Israel. But that's tough when the nation's been obliterated. And so today we're going to talk about a guy who had a really, really big dream, who dared to dream something audacious, something unimaginable, something that without God would not and could not happen. And so we're going to talk today about Nehemiah. Now, at some point in time down the road, we might spend some time and just, we're going to camp in Nehemiah. Today we're doing a flyby. Okay, we're going to look at Nehemiah from 20,000 feet today. So we're kind of plying through his story. And so let's tell you how his story starts. <coughs> uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. These are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, we're not even going to go into all these months, these Jewish months. In the 20th year, I, Nehemiah, was in the capital city of Susa. One of my brothers named Hananiah came with some other men from Judah. I asked them about Jerusalem and the Jewish people who lived in throughout the captivity. So let me just stop for a second and talk about this. And we're going to kind of unpack this whole thing in a second. So Nehemiah is in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire. The Persians conquered the Babylonians, who conquered Judah. So that's kind of, so the Israel, the and then the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and obliterated them across the face of the earth. They don't even, they are just gone. And so the only remnant left of God's chosen people were the people of Judah. And now they are under their second oppression. But God still has this big dream. And so here's Nehemiah, 900 miles away from Jerusalem. So it's about a two-month journey. And, when he, and so after two months, his brother and his entourage shows up to pay homage to, the, to Artaxerxes, the king. And he says, how are things back home? Verse 3, they answered. Those who were left from the captivity are back in Judah, but they are in much trouble and full of shame. The wall around Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned. When I heard these things, I sat down and cried for several days. I was so sad and, and I was sad and fasted. I prayed to the God of heaven. We'll stop right there. There's all kinds of stuff going on here. <coughs> and so what we understand here is for the next four months, not four days, not four hours, not four minutes, for four months, for four months, Nehemiah prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed because he had a burden for Jerusalem. He had a burden for Judah. And he just began to pray. And then over the course of his prayer, God birthed in him a dream, a vision, if you will. God birthed in him something that he wanted to do that was so big and so bold and so amazing that it would not happen if he was not in it. Let me explain to you why. Nehemiah is in the capital of Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. Artaxerxes, the king or emperor, whatever you want to call him, over the, over the Persian Empire, which had conquered most of the known world at this time. Artaxerxes swore that Jerusalem's walls would never be rebuilt under any circumstance because he had heard the stories of the greatness of Jerusalem from the time of David. 
And he swore that nation would never rise again, not on his watch. This is the guy that Nehemiah works with. The guy who said, never going to happen. Yet, at the same time, God is birthing this dream in Nehemiah that that's exactly what needs to happen. So you got the battleship and you got the lighthouse. And they're on a collision course. And something's got to give. So here we go. It was the month of Nisan in the 20th year, Artaxerxes was king. So this four months later. He wanted some wine, so I took him some and gave it to the king. Now, I don't know what you do in your house, but this is kind of what happens, especially with Crystal and I separated uh, for a while. We always ask about our day. What did you do today? How was your day? How did things go today? Which we've been doing that for almost for 30 years. Now, when if you were Nehemiah and you went home, you never had to say, how was your day? Because if you went home, it was a good day. If he didn't go home, it was a bad day. And here's why. Because he is the cupbearer to the king, which means of all the advisors, he is the, king, the person the king trusts the most because there is nothing that the king drinks or eats that he doesn't taste first. And so Nehemiah's job was to drink for the king and eat for the king, and they would watch him to see if he would drop dead because back in that day, and, and, and the world was in such turmoil, one of the ways to assassinate a king was to poison him. And so there were threats from outside the Persian Empire. There were threats from inside the Persian Empire. There were threats from the Persians. There were threats from all these people they had captured. And so Nehemiah's job was to eat. And then they would just sit there, watch, wait, and when he didn't drop dead, they would take the food to the king. So when Nehemiah had a bad day, he didn't go home. All right? And so this is kind of what's going on in his life. But this is also four months into Nehemiah praying and praying and God birthing in him this really big dream that was unimaginable that Nehemiah knew would not happen without God. So let's pick the story up. Verse 2, chapter 2, excuse me. <clears throat> I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king said, why does your face look so sad even though you were not sick? Your heart must be sad. Then I was afraid. So let me just tell you about this real quick. The king of Persia doesn't care how anybody feels but the king of Persia. Doesn't care how his wife feels, wives feel, doesn't care how his kids feel, doesn't care. And so the fact that he even mentioned to his most trusted advisor, you all right? It's kind of like if you see someone at work, and you say, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You don't look okay. See, that's how this conversation is going. Now, the wise thing for Nehemiah to do is go, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good, because the king really don't want to hear about his problems. But Nehemiah didn't take that route. Verse 3, I said to the king, May the king live forever. My face is sad because the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. All right, so he lays it all out. And this is where, you know, George and I were talking this morning. You know, God just shows off sometimes. And, and God just puts you in situations you never thought you'd be in. And here was this guy who prayed for months, and he just risked everything. And this is the, the response to the guy who said, never ever, ever on my watch will the walls be rebuilt. 
What do you want? Now, if I'm Nehemiah, I'm immediately asking for a better job. I'm asking for a job where I can go home every day. I'm asking for a job where I don't put my life on the line. I'm asking for my freedom. I'm asking for some money. I'm asking for all sorts of stuff. And one thing, and we'll deep dive into this, you know, somewhere down the road. But Nehemiah says, I want to go home and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They've been trying to do this for 84 years. For 84 years, and that's really important, for 84 years they've tried to rebuild the walls. For 84 years they've been unsuccessful. For 84 years. Nehemiah says, I just want to go home. Now, before he said a word, the Bible tells us a really important thing. There's a gap here. What do you want? He says, then I prayed. Before he opened his mouth. Because it was a big dream. And so he began to unpack this dream that this God had birthed in him. So I want to go home and rebuild the walls. Okay. How long is that going to take? Well, I don't know. Okay. How are you going to pay for it? Well, that's the funny part. I want you to pay for it. Okay. And I need you to give me some uh, soldiers to protect me when I go back. Okay. And so the king wrote a series of decrees, which in modern-day terms means this. The king reached in his wallet, grabbed his credit card, and said to Nehemiah, go get what you need. That's essentially what he did. He gave him all these letters, but in our culture, it's when someone hands you a credit card and goes, go get what you want. And they mean it. Whatever it costs, whatever you have to do. And so Nehemiah went back. He took the two-month journey. He goes back. They start gathering supplies, and the night before he goes back, he doesn't tell anybody what he's going to do because Nehemiah is a great leader. And one thing that really good leaders do is before they open their mouth, before they take action, before they start doing stuff different, they just observe. They just observe. And so he goes out by himself, and he circles the city. And what he realizes is this is 100 times worse than his brother that the people are in dire straits, that they're a threat from outside the Persian Empire. It doesn't matter what kind of protection he brought with him, that he's in trouble. And so then, after seeing the city, and, and you got to wonder if he's walking around going, God, are you, are you kidding me? You want this done? I mean, these people have had it 84 years, and they can't get it done. Really? But that was the dream. Verse 17, he gathers the people and says this, you can see the trouble we have here. Jerusalem is a pile of ruins, and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so we won't be full of shame any longer. And if I'm those people, I'm going, uh, we've been working on that for quite a while now. Maybe in your cushy job over in Susa, you didn't know that. We've been working on that for quite a while. But Nehemiah says, let's get this done. Let's get this done. And what Nehemiah does over the next bit of time is he takes 84 years of culture and he changes it just like that. And so here's the lesson we learn from Nehemiah, and it's really simple. Kingdom dreams require us to work as if they depend on us, but understand that it really depends on God. I'm telling you, they, those people, they went back and they went to work. 
And when you understand what they did, it's quite possible this is one of the most amazing feats of construction in human history. 84 years of failure. Nehemiah comes in. He just changes the culture of the community. That's, that's what he did. That's all he did. We're going to get this done. We got resources. We, we, we got this is what God wants, and we're going to make it happen. Now, kingdom dreams require us to work really hard. They require us to sacrifice. What we like to do we're kind of like the person going, you know, I think God's in this. It'll be okay. And we just sit back and we wait for God to do what God's going to do. And while God's waiting for us to do is his part, our part, then he'll worry about his part. Nehemiah said, my job is to build walls. My, my job is just to get this thing rolling. God will take care of the rest of it. Now, when you consider the feet, let me under, unpack a couple things for you. So, so they start this project. Enemies arise from outside the city. They threaten his life. And he just goes on about his business. Then an army threatens to come in and disrupt everything. And these people who are working really hard, the labor force gets cut in half. So you got one guy standing in sentry and one guy working. And the guy that's working is working with a sword in one hand and working with the other hand. So now you've cut your labor force in half and everyone's working one hand. It was a really dangerous time. So imagine that. 84 years of failure, and you cut our labor force in half. Now we had to work with one hand. Now along the way, along the way as the project is going on, a great moral failure is pointed out to Nehemiah. That in Jerusalem there are classes of people, and the rich people are oppressing the poor people. And just like was going on back in Babylon before them and in Persia now, just like it was going on back in the day in, in Judah and in Israel before. These older folks were literally stealing from poor people just to keep them alive. And they were giving everything they had away. And so Nehemiah, who's given this vision, this dream, right, we're going to build these walls, stops. Whole project stops. And he gathers the people and he fixes the problem. And he says, look, we got greater problems than, than a wall right now. This is not right. This is not what God wants you to do. It is amazing how he changed the culture in a short amount of time. The people repented. They gave back that which they had swindled from others. And the project resumed. All this time, kingdom dreams, working really hard, cut your labor force in half, working one-handed, stop the project to deal with a major problem that's going to get in the And this is one of my favorite things in the whole Bible. Chapter 6. The wall of Jerusalem was completed on the 25th day of the month of Elu, which took 52 days. Now, I'm not really good with math. So let me tell you this. That's less than two months, in case you're wondering. 84 years, couldn't get it done. 84 years, they worked, and they worked, and they worked, and they worked, and they couldn't get it done. Nehemiah shows up, deals with all these problems, and in 52 days, they completely rebuild the wall. It's amazing. But what it is, is really simple. Nehemiah never lost sight of his mission. 
Nehemiah never lost sight of God's kingdom dream for him. And God's kingdom dream for him was to rebuild walls. That was his goal. Get the walls rebuilt. He didn't promise him. I want you to imagine if God would have said, by the way, you're going to go back and do this in 62 days. Imagine if God would have told him how this would play out. Imagine if he had all the information as he's walking around the city going, um, no, no. See, God didn't give him a timetable. He just said, rebuild the walls. 52 days. Why well, couldn't that be done in 84 years? And it's really simple. For 84 years, the people have been distracted. They've been distracted by all the things that were going on. They've been distracted by their captivity. They've been distracted by their enemies from outside. They've been distracted by their moral problems on the inside. They've been distracted by all these things. So one guy put it all together, removed the distractions, and kept his focus on the kingdom dream. As we talked about last week, Nehemiah was able to guard what God called him to do because he knew exactly what God wanted. Rebuild the wall. Change the culture. Here's the question. It's, it's simple. It's, here's the question. In this story, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be like in this story? You want to be like the people who for 84 years couldn't get it done? You want to be like Nehemiah who rallies the people? But you know the unsung heroes are in this event? The people in Jerusalem who rallied around God's kingdom dream because Nehemiah couldn't do this without them. And they couldn't do it without God. This is what a kingdom dream looks like. Impossible. Can't be done. But it did. One piece of a greater plan where God was sending Jesus into the world. One piece that had to be done so that we could be blessed by Jesus. We don't always understand how things play out. We don't always understand our role. We may not always like how things go. And we always like things to be fast. That's what we like. Quick and fast. But life is a marathon. And kingdom dreams are marathons. Our job is to determine God's dream for this church, his church, and just do our part. That's it. And God will, will do his part. Our job is not to do God's part. He will not do our part. God could have rebuilt the walls, but he didn't. And they never would have did it in 52 days without God. So we are going to pursue the kingdom dream, whatever that looks like. And we'll talk about that in the days and weeks and months ahead. Let's pray. Lord, we are... Um, We look at these things in the Bible, and sometimes we use words like impossible. We use words like can't, can't be done. We go, yeah, that's great. That was in the Bible. That's cool. But the world's different today. And the world may be different, but you are still creator, and you are still God, and you are still in charge, and you still have no limitations. And you still have a dream for your church. And it may look different from place to place, but you have a dream 
for your church and said, only grace. We want to be a part of that family. So in the weeks and days ahead, we pray that you'll continue to reveal to us exactly what you call us to do. We pray that you will birth in us this desire to bring people hurting, lost, shattered, broken to a place where they can feel safe and secure and loved. That's the least that we can do regardless of what you call us to do from this point forward. And that's our prayer, Lord. We pray this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of dedication if you would stand. And we're going to sing our dedication song. If you need prayer or have something going on in your life, love to talk to you about that as you sing. Next week, we're going to start, I know it's Labor Day weekend, we're going to start a sermon series, it's called My Gift to God, and we're going to talk for the next five weeks, what's the one thing God wants from us? The creator of the universe wants something that only you can give him that nobody else on the planet can. We're going to talk about that for the next five weeks, hope you'll be here, bring someone with you, I know it's Labor Day weekend, still, hope you'll be here, plan to be with us. In the bulletin is my contact information, so here's what I'd like for you to do. I'm going to take the coward's way out. So if you want me to have, if you want my tech, if you want me to have your cell number especially, send me a text, leave me a voicemail. Please tell me who you are so I have to guess. So I'll be calling, ah, who is this? All right. I'm going to call everybody West who doesn't give me their name. All right. So that's who you're going to be. So do that. I will save your information. I hope you'll do that. If you call our home phone, here's the deal. I don't have, I have a line but not a phone yet. And so if you've, like, called this week and said, man, that dude never answers his phone, I haven't had a home phone for, like, four or five years. So uh, we need to remember to buy one. So we're going to take care of that before the day is over, uh, we hope. Um, please keep the Markovich family in your prayers, uh, Terry and his family and the loss of his mom. Um, they're doing really well, but, but keep them in your prayers. I know they would appreciate that. Last but not least, come here, man. Come here, sir. Come on. Not the first time you've seen something in church before. Come on now. All right. Y'all like his flower, by the way? Look at him. Like they're going to the prom. It's pretty cool, isn't it? All right.
28 years for two people who did not plan to be here is not bad at all. And it's not like they're going anywhere. Roles are changing, but they're going to be here ministering with us. And so I'm going to pray for them and pray for the meal. And um, we're going to eat some food and have a good time, okay? Make sure you let these two know you love them very much. Uh, despite my days in middle school, I still love this guy. He's all right. So uh, let's pray, okay? Grateful, Lord, for this church. Grateful for this day. Grateful for these two people uh, to my right and left and their love for this community, their love for your church. They have for 28 years treated First Christians as if he belonged to you. Um, and so we are just going to stand on your shoulders and just do the things you've called us to do. We're so grateful you led them here. And it's just funny how things work, uh, how we think we have a plan, we think we have an idea, and then you reveal yourself. Grateful for these two people, grateful for their love for you, grateful for their love for the people who are here today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.